desperate, you know, at the time I was 17, 18, unemployed, you know, and I was desperate to, you know, to get a break. And I knew that if I did get a try, I would, you know, I would grab the chance. I think it was always going to be boxing. I mean, I stepped into the gym as a 10 or 11 year old. Boxing just took hold of my heart straight away. I love everything about the sport of boxing. Hello, I'm Marie Crow, and this is We Become Heroes, the RTE sport podcast that explores how elite athletes and sports people reach the top of their game and the lessons they learned along the way. My guest today is Republic of Ireland footballer and Puskas Award nominee, Stephanie Roach. Stephanie, how are you? Hey, Marie, all good. Thank you. Thanks so much for doing this. Look, I know it's kind of a strange time for everybody. It's been a really strange year, but what's it like being a footballer at the moment? Um, it's been good to be fair. I think uh, we're quite privileged that we're able to train and play, which is something that we kind of we try to to do to the best of our ability and make sure we make the most of it. And um, while also being aware of everything that's going on and, and making sure that we take the right steps to kind of prevent anybody being sick or catching coronavirus. It's been a little bit of a strange time, kind of hand sanitizers being passed around our training all the time, and and everybody making sure, as I said, that we do everything we can possible, even going to matches and stuff we're not able to share lifts we played in Galway yesterday and had to drive down way on you kind of driving beside me in the car next to me so it's strange like not having the girls in the car going to away games or anything like that so yeah a little bit different but as I said privileged to be able to be playing and Steph like obviously you've had quite a, a varied career and you're home now and you're playing with P-Mount and like that that's a you're in an amateur league but would you would you kind of still class yourself as a professional athlete yeah, I think so. I think if you spoke to any of the girls in the league, well, I can only really speak for P-Mount and I'm sure a lot of the girls in the other teams in the Women's National League will try to try to hit a professional standard. And that's what we do at P-Mount's training is always a high intensity, high tempo. We only obviously train twice a week. That's probably the only downfall. But a lot of the girls like myself will do our own stuff during the week to make sure that we hit the right standard for what we do play the game. So I think it's it's been different coming home. It's definitely been different. You have to have a lot of self-motivation to make sure you do the work away from it because you're not doing it with your team all the time. But again, I think our training is such a high intensity that I know I have to do the extra work outside to be able to to compete when we go with the training. And, and obviously the Women's National League as well is definitely hitting a higher standard now as well. So it's it, it means you're on your toes and you have to do the right things to be ready for the games. And in terms of being paid then, Steph, like obviously like everybody has to work and you're trying to juggle everything and, you know, you're used to have a certain standard and been able to have time. Um, I imagine it's, it's quite difficult because I'm sure you want to be paid for being a footballer, but we just don't have the environment here. Yeah, exactly. It's difficult because like even the last couple of weeks, obviously a lot of people are out of work and things are different. I have my own coaching company, which we were in quite a few schools and it was really starting to start getting get to a level where I wanted it to be and this hit and it set us back again so that's kind of been tough and um, I've been lucky enough that I've done quite a bit of media work over the last couple of months but again it's it's difficult because as you say you want to fully focus on football but you also have to make sure that you're able to earn a living and, and have the money to be able to do so because obviously nutrition and eating the right stuff in football is a big part of it as well and, and you have to kind of have the money to be able to go out and get that so it's it all kind of intertwines and comes together but it can be difficult in that sense because as I said I've had quite a busy few weeks and trying to balance both has been difficult. So I can only imagine what it's like for for like the likes of the girls in the league who are doctors or teachers or have really full on jobs. So that can be a really difficult side of things, definitely. Do you think that we're going to edge towards like a semi-professional league? I hope so. I think that's something that I spoke 
quite a bit about recently. I think um, that has to be the next step. I think I think the league is definitely this year, particularly taking a step towards a more professional standard in terms of having the games streamed and the sponsors coming on board, the same sponsors in the men's league. I think both leagues really have a lot of work to do. I think the League of Ireland, the men's league has definitely got better as well. But I think if we do want to reach a certain standard, even at international level, I think the home league has to be of a better standard. And I think the only way to do that is to try and get to a semi-professional standard. And what about equal play at international level? <laughs> um, it's a difficult one, isn't it? I think for me, I think that step will come when we get to a major tournament. I think it will have to. I think that will put pressure on on the FAI or put pressure on, on the associations it has around Europe. I think we've seen it with different teams kind of getting it. But I think pressure has to be on us now to actually qualify for a major tournament because I think success will bring that. And and we haven't actually qualified for a tournament ever. So I think in order for us to be able to demand equal pay, we have to be bringing some sort of revenue towards it, you know, that kind of way. And I think that's the only way we can do that is if we go to a major tournament and our games are being broadcast and the FEI are making money from, from what we're doing, if that makes sense. So I think, obviously, I'd love to see it happening, but I do think we still have work ourselves to do to, to get there. I use the words edging closer quite a bit and everything seems to be edging closer, but look, at least it's not stagnant and standing still and, and it's moving in the right direction. I'm going to take a look back at your career, Steph, and I'm going to start when you were very young. Can you tell me your first memories of sport? Um, probably just playing in the streets, playing football on the street. Um, I grew up, I was actually really lucky. I grew up in an estate where we had loads of grass pitches, or kind of grass areas that we used as pitches. We had kind of we played a lot of street football we had two walls across right around the corner from my house with two walls where we painted goals on and we played like kind of street football on that so yeah I was lucky I grew up as I said in Shankill and Shangana Cliffs and we had so many places that we were able to play matches whether it be World Cup tournaments whether it be a full-blown match on a pitch up the road it was it was just yeah the best place it could be in terms of trying to develop as a footballer I was always out every day playing and that's probably my earliest memories is is playing and probably being the only girl there as well it's been a little time <laughs> were, you, were, the, were you the only girl <laughs> yeah well the only girl that played football and like I have my group of friends there's the girls and I've gotten so much trouble all the time for kind of as soon as the lads come out with a football I was like I'm going to see later and yeah they weren't too happy with me at times but they got used to it in the end I think. So who were, who were your heroes then when you were young? Um, it's funny because I get asked this quite a lot and obviously we, we've said how far the women's game has come but for me growing up I didn't have really have many female particularly footballers who, who I knew of and until I got kind of into the Irish set up I would have started to hear about the likes of Emma Byrne and Olivia O'Toole who would have been a player I looked up to but I think Growing up from an early age, it was I supported Manchester United, so it would have been players playing for Manchester United that I would have loved. And obviously, if they were Irish, it helped. I love Roy Keane. Not that I was anything like him on the pitch or anything like it, but just I thought he was great. Um, I suppose in terms of heroes and players I looked up to, it would have been like say Van Nistelrooy in his early days at Manchester United, Ronaldo, Giggs, Rooney, them types of players. And as I said, it wasn't until I kind of hit where I was in the underage Irish setup that I started to know about more women's players. And that's kind of when I think Olivia O'Toole was, was probably one of the biggest that I kind of aspired to be like, she was left footed like me as well. So that kind of was my little, I was like, oh, she's the same as me. I'm going to be like her. <laughs> it just shows doesn't it, how important it is to actually be able to see people because we don't, we don't get to, we didn't get to see many women's sports um, people at all, many women playing sports at all when we were growing up it was just just wasn't on the tv except really athletics and then the odd all ireland camogie final and a bit of ladies football every now and again so it's just it's changed so much now it's brilliant but 
like back then you probably didn't know that there was pathways there Steph that you could find or uh, navigate a, a professional career no I didn't and I think really the only ones that I really remember being on telly was tennis that was the only kind of female athlete and obviously athletics sometimes obviously Sonia Sullivan was huge I would have known her quite a bit and seen her on the tv so that was someone who I knew of but in terms of football there was none like and I think you've said it already we're making you a try forward and it's important because I speak to a lot of young kids now I talk to, to teams and to schools and stuff about the importance of of getting involved in sports and, and now you're able to say you can be like this player you can be like that player it's not kind of like oh yeah you never know what can happen you know like on the way so it's good that that young young girls can have female role models not just in football obviously Katie Taylor's probably the, the most high profile female who's who's done at the highest level and, and really kind of I suppose opened up the world of boxing to, to young girls as well so I think it's it's great to see that we're getting there but yeah for me growing up it was it was always just male kind of role models that I had that I could look up to did you play on boys teams like as in okay you were outside playing with the boys but were you on like boys actual teams yeah I only joined my first boys team when I was I was 11 going on 12 and actually it was through one of my friends Ian Walsh's mom came out and she was bringing it to training one day and I kind of we'd been playing and then they went and I kind of went off on my own kicking the ball around and then she came back to me a couple of days later and was like we should not join the lads team and I just never thought of it and even like I always went to my brother's matches my dad would have been a coach I would have played at half time so they knew I had an interest but I don't think they really knew where I could go or either you know that kind of way so that was kind of the first time that I knew about team sports and that I could actually play and and she brought me up to the team and I ended up starting to play with, with Velvio and Shankill with a lot of my friends as well so it was almost like just playing in the streets and it was obviously more in a, in a structured manner but like it was an easy way for me to be eased into obviously being the only girl I think I was the only girl in the league at the time not just in the team so it was it was nice to be able to have the lads around me who I knew so that was kind of my my first experience with, with the team. And Vera Pau is a big supporter of girls playing with boys for as long as possible. If if you know, you can get up to to pretty much senior level if as it is on the continent quite a bit. What are your thoughts on that? Um, I feel I I always train with the boys whenever I get the opportunity. Obviously, it's not quite as easy now with everything that's going on. A lot of the teams aren't playing, but. I would have trained, uh, Dean's brother is playing with Wayside Celtic, I would have trained with their senior team a couple of times, I would have trained with Joe's senior team, also trained with Joe's under 16, 17s, Bray, under 17s, whenever I can kind of get the opportunity to, obviously being away was difficult, before I went away I done it and, and then being back kind of last year when we were allowed to, I was able to do it and I do feel it's a much higher standard and it means that, like I feel sometimes I said to you, our female training is really good at times, but there's times if some players are missing, like the international players at times, when the international players are gone, the level can drop a little bit. Whereas when you're playing with the boys, you have to be on it all the time. So if you're getting one or two sessions with the lads on top of what you're doing, I think it definitely will stand to you. But for me, I think that's not the answer. It's difficult because some girls don't like going and playing with lads. That's where we go back to maybe the league being more a semi-professional level. And that means then that the girls can play with, with their own team more times a week and then the level in that training will be lifted and and that will kind of give them a better chance. But I think, I agree, I think it definitely is better for you. But I think there needs to be a better answer than just, oh yeah, go play with your local boys team because I don't think that works for everybody, you know? Yeah, definitely. So did you enjoy any other sports then besides football or play any other sports when you were young? Um, not really. When I went to secondary school, my there was a teacher, a basketball coach in the school, Mr. Jennings, who always used to try and get me to play basketball. And I never really had a huge interest in it because I just always wanted to play football. And sometimes matches would be on the same days. But the days they weren't on, I'd go and play. And I actually was quite good. Obviously, I'm, I'm tall and 
and obviously would, would have been quite athletic and that but I kind of never really knew the proper rules to it and everything like that I kind of <laughs> just learned as I went and you know I was traveling or I was double dribbling and all this so I was like what what's going on and then I kind of obviously had to learn it as I went but that would probably would have been the only sport that I would have been half involved in but I, I kind of just played with the school kind of whenever football was and on that was that was it like <laughs> did you when you were training and you know just starting to play football and starting to think okay I could be good at this and I want to progress and and get really good at it like what, what did you have to work on what were the elements of your game maybe that didn't come as naturally to you um I think technically on the ball I was always quite gifted I think that was something that I felt I always was good at I used to I probably I think like most people you kind of go out and you work on the things that you're good at to try and make yourself better at that rather than working on the things that you actually need to work on so I think growing up I used to just always go out and and, and play with the, the ball against the wall work on my touch and um, I think growing up I, I've always been predominantly left-footed and my brother one of my brothers is right footed, my other one's left footed. But the brother who was right footed kept on telling me you need to work on your right foot. Like people are going to get used to you always going on your left foot, so you need to get better at that. So that was one of the things that I always tried to get better at. Um, I think I've always been quite slight. I've always been quite lanky, I suppose. I'm tall and thin. And, and that was another thing that particularly as I went up the Irish underage systems, I think Irish footballers have always not just in, uh, in, the, in the women's game, but in the men's game particularly, you would have always heard you need to be big and strong if you're going to play in the Irish national team. So coming up through the, the underage systems, that was something that kind of worked against me quite a lot was that I needed to be bigger, I needed to be stronger. And I remember my dad bringing me to the gym to do things. We didn't really know what we were doing at the time, but it was kind of like, we'll lift weights and see what happens type of thing. Like, But that probably would have been stuff that I tried to work on to get better at. But I think I only really started to put on muscle and weight the more I developed as, as a teenager and got a bit older. But yeah, those probably would have been the two tough ones, my right foot and, and my athleticism. <laughs> so at what stage did you pick, did you kind of realise, okay, look, maybe I can make this, maybe I can make a career out of this, maybe I can reach the top in this country and potentially in other countries? Um, I think in Ireland, I think when I was quite young, I, I played for Stella Maris. I remember I, I played for Cavendish against Stella Maris in a cup game and Noel King was at the game. And Noel came up to me and my dad after the game. And obviously we knew who he was. He was the Irish senior women's manager. So I knew a bit about him. And he came over to us and, and asked a few questions, kind of said, how are you doing type of thing. He asked me, did I play Gaelic? And I was like, no. And he was like, okay, that's good. So you're fully focused on football. And he just said to me, look, keep going the way you're going. You played really well. We got beaten that day and I was devastated, obviously coming off the pitch. But he gave me kind of, he probably doesn't even remember talking to me, but what he said to me gave me a proper boost. And he said to me, if you keep going the way you're going, you'll play for Ireland one day. So that was kind of me thinking, all right, I can do well in Ireland and I can play for the national team. But I think I didn't really know anything about playing abroad or, or playing professionally until really I got into the senior women's international team because there were so many players who were in the squad who were playing all over the world, playing in, in England, obviously with the, th- the three girls at the time, Emma, Yvonne and Kira. And then there was obviously girls playing in Iceland, America. And it was only kind of through talking to people like that that I realised it, it, there was more options around Europe rather than just going to the top leagues. Because obviously I hadn't played professional football. It was kind of like I'd been good enough to be in the Irish team for quite a long time. And then it was like, right, I need to make the next step. And as I said, it was when I got into the senior team that I realised I probably need to go professional if I want to kind of stay around the squad for as long as I can. Like So it wasn't until then that I, I decided to try and go professional. So what was that like then when you, you'd made the decision and said, right, I'm going to give this a go? Like, how do you even go about it? I didn't really know how to, to be honest with you. I think like most girls, I think at the time it was like, OK, I'll get a scholarship and go to America. That was kind of the thing that was what everybody was doing. 
Um, for me, if I'm honest, it wasn't something that I really wanted to do. I was kind of like, I don't really want to go to America, like <laughs> a proper home, but I didn't want to be that far away from home. I'd literally just got with my boyfriend then. Obviously, we're together a long time now, but I was just, just at the start of my relationship with him and all loafed up. I was like, I don't really want to go away from him, do you know, like on the way. So it was like a strange one. And then, as you say, how do you go about it? I didn't have an agent. I didn't have someone looking after me. And then the opportunity to go to France came up purely based on the, the fact that I played with Salem Barbank. She came to Piemonts to play for a year and she went back to France and that's kind of how that came up. And I was like, all right, I was offered a chance to go over on trial, went over, done quite well, signed my contract and, and I was there and it kind of all happened really quickly. But that kind of all just came about because I knew her. And I think that's how women's football can work a lot. It's about knowing people and meeting people through kind of, I suppose, different things and, and getting the opportunity. So that's kind of how I ended up going there. But I didn't really have a clue how to actually go about it, if I'm honest, <laughs> in the first place. like. So did getting the shortlisted for the Puskas, did, did that help you then when you were trying to develop as a professional athlete? Yeah, definitely. I think I think playing, getting the Puskas and obviously playing for Ireland, I think that was probably like, I obviously when I went to France was kind of, Sue was, in, was the manager of the Irish team at this stage and I was kind of in my early stages of playing for Ireland and wanting to improve. And I think playing more games for Ireland definitely helped that as well. But the Puskas completely blew me up. Everybody knew who I was. I was doing interviews. I'm sure people were sick of hearing about me and I like, kind of way or clubs maybe being linked with me. Anybody who I did on an interview, if I mentioned the team, it was like, oh, Stephen Rose is going to sign there. And I was like, I didn't say that. I just said I'd like to maybe go there or this could be an option. So yeah, that definitely did kind of help people be more aware of who I was and and obviously the goal was a decent goal as well so maybe it made people think that I could be half good as well so it helps definitely. Did it add pressure though like I mean you were an international star really like? A little bit yeah I think even now looking back I think a lot of teams maybe like expected me to be scoring wonder goals every week you know like on the way or not even the team the manager obviously and, and people in football understand that that doesn't happen but I think from the outside, people looking in, if I wasn't scoring goals or I wasn't doing certain things, it maybe meant that I wasn't doing well, you know, like one way. And I think, like, I went for me looking back now, my best kind of spell was probably at Sunderland. But when I played at Sunderland, I played left wing back. I didn't play up front. I didn't play in the 10. I didn't really get forward a lot. I was kind of more of a defensive player and tried to get forward when I could. But I think people from the outside looking in, like, oh, she didn't score any goals. So she mustn't have done well, you know, like on the way. So so that was difficult because, as I said, I, I played quite a few games and enjoyed my time there. But it was just a different style of football and different positions. So I think, yeah, people from the outside looking in expected to be seeing overhead kicks and volleys from 40 yards and that every week. But that isn't going to be the case. Like, So look, I think everyone that I have interviewed for this podcast has had a setback of some sort that they've had to overcome because with sport and I think professional sport as well, there are always going to be highs and lows. For you, Steph, what was the biggest setback that you had to overcome in your career? Um, I think there's been a few, actually. I think, obviously, I've had a huge amount of luck with the postcast, with the goal being caught on video and everything else. And I think, like myself and Dean have had several conversations and, and we look back on, on everything that I've done and we feel like since the podcast I've had so much bad luck as well and obviously people don't hear about all the bad luck but there's been so many things that have happened obviously things not working out in America and um, my leg break and um, going to Italy getting injured and then a lot of crap that went on over there so much things that you wouldn't even think would ever have to happen to a footballer but I think the biggest thing for me would be breaking my leg and um, the injury a couple of years ago I think that kind of really set me back particularly I think because I remember when it happened, I kind of had a thought in my head, like I remember panicking and being upset 
because I thought this is bad when I, exactly when it happened. Like, you know, I kind of was like, this is bad. It's not going to be good. And I obviously had my scan and found out it wasn't my ACL. I was assured that it wasn't all that bad then. And I kind of had got my hopes up to thinking, all right, grand, I won't be out for that long. And I ended up being out for nearly 18 months in the end. And, and it was, yeah, it was a difficult time, particularly because I remember I came back. It happened in the September. I came back in the December and trained with, P- or with Sunderland, should I say, and I remember being in a lot of pain, but just thinking it must just be because I'm getting back into the swing of things, you know, that way. And I then obviously found out in the early January that I actually had a stress fracture to the bottom of my femur, which was what was causing the pain. So then that ended up setting me back again for another three months. And time I kind of was back up and running and ready to go. I had no team. I was out of contract with Sunderland. So that was a huge time in my career where I honestly didn't know what to do. I was like, what am I going to do? Like, do I just stop playing? Do I come home and try and work do I, I like what do I do and that was usually really a big kind of setback for me in terms of getting going again and the opportunity to go to Italy then came up and I think in hindsight looking back it wasn't the right decision to go there but at the same time I was under pressure to go away and play professionally from from Colin in the Irish team he was all about going away and being a professional if, if you want to make it in the Irish team so and he was very good to me, by the way. I think Colin, I had a very good relationship with Colin. He was very good in, in terms of my injury and that. But at the time, I felt, right, I have to go. And that was really the only legitimate option for me at the time. So I went. Um, but over there, I got straight into the thick of things. Uh, training was this craziest training schedule I've ever done in my life. We'd be on the pitch for two hours, like, without a shadow of a doubt. Every, every training session we had was two hours long, even after matches you're running, you're doing, it was just crazy, the training. And I ended up getting a stress fracture in my right ankle within the few weeks, first few weeks of being there. Obviously coming back from being injured and getting, it was just, it was mental like it really was. And yeah, things didn't go the way I wanted them to go in the first season. And, and I saw him back again and it went a bit better. But I think, as I said, looking back, that were probably not the right move for me was to go there. And I think coming back to Ireland last year, I just said to myself, I want to get back to enjoying football. I want to get back to playing the way I know I can and, and that's kind of where I'm at now I'm just trying to I'm still kind of what since 2018 what are we three years on now I'm still kind of really trying to rebuild my, myself as a footballer and and get going again so so definitely that's definitely the biggest setback that I've had to deal with. It's it's really hard like you know just having to deal with all of that did you like how did you get through it because it's an awful lot for a person to have to try and overcome and just been so uncertain about your future and your future also been so tied up in the thing that you love. Yeah, it was difficult. And, and I think as well, you, you really learn who who the people in your life are that really matter because some people just completely forget about you. You know, like on the way some people thought, like I'd retired from football or I wasn't playing anymore. No one even cared to kind of ring and say, oh, Jesus, what's going on? How come you're not playing? Or how was your injury? It was just kind of like I had the injury originally and it had been kind of said that I was on out for up to 12 weeks. So, so anybody who kind of had seen the injury originally would have thought, I should be back in no time. And then I say, when they see me not playing for a year, they probably just thought I didn't, I wasn't playing. Whereas I think I had obviously very good, like Dean, my dad, my brothers, Dean's dad as well. Like I had good people around me who have been involved in football for a long time. And they just kind of said, look, you need to get the head down and just work your heart, your arse off and get yourself back because no one's going to care what you're doing really until you're doing it, you know, like on the way. So, so that was a hard, particularly because I was out of contract. See, I got injured playing for Ireland. So, Sunderland weren't looking after it. It was I was back home in Ireland doing my uh, my rehab and getting my treatment and stuff like that. So I was away from Sunderland throughout a big period of of my injury. So I was by myself. I wasn't in a team environment. I was by myself doing all my rehab. 
then I was out of contract so I didn't have anybody at all then at that stage didn't even have people from Sunderland saying how are you doing it was just just myself and and getting myself ready and and yeah look it was it was really tough it was it was a hard time and again I think when I look back on it and when people think about injuries it might not seem like the worst injury but the circumstances around the injury were what really kind of what got to me and, and what delayed me coming back so it was yeah a bit of a, a crap time I'm not gonna lie but as I said I'm only really starting to come around from it now yeah. so I'm hoping this season of Women's National League will be the the kind of the defining career for, or the defining season for me to come back and show what I'm about. I'd say as well like the fact that you had such a big high with the Puskas and there was so much commotion and excitement and glamour and it just shows that it doesn't it doesn't last forever that you know things move on and you, you have to keep kind of pushing forward and when things like that happen it probably makes everything almost even worse because you had this amazing high yeah exactly and that's that's what I'm saying when I say that I kind of had so much luck with the postcards and everything that it brought my way and then it was almost like I went from being here to just like there and then there was my luck ran out to a certain extent you know like on the way it was all just bad luck and again it's all about having the right mindset and I think one of the things for me is just being persevering and keep on going and making sure that look I'm 32 in June so I want there are no illusions that I have 10-15 years left in me by any means but I want the last next few years or the last few years of my career to be the best yet so for me it's just about as I said getting back to to where I know I can be and um, I finished last season high so this season is, is a big season for me I can't wait to get going. Uh, listening to you as well just talking about the importance of having people around you as well and the right people around you so when you look at your career till now Steph who has had the biggest impact on it? Um, It's hard to say one individual I think my dad obviously my dad was a huge impact in my career the whole time growing up he would have been a person who would have pushed me all the time and even when I finished on the Irish level I never thought I'd play for senior international team it was always too competitive and, and he always said you will you'll play there if you keep going so my dad uh, um, obviously Dean I've been with Dean a long time he's kind of with me through the highs and the lows he came to America with me left the League of Ireland to come to America with me and it only lasted a few months so I don't know how he's dealt with I don't know how he put up with that but yeah people like that being in my life and kind of keeping me going I think obviously as I said before I've got we're very I'm very close to all my family my my sister my two brothers my dad my mom they're always kind of the people who really you fall back on when everything isn't going right so so they definitely would have picked me up as I said when the things were going wrong but definitely would have been there for me during the good times as well so I say my dad my my boyfriend being probably the ones that are up there and the impact I know that like obviously you're you're still playing but when you look at kind of the highs that you've had and seasons that you've had and games that you've played and think about the footballer that you always wanted to be is there a performance that defines everything that you're about? Um, that's a difficult one. Um, I think probably my my uh, home debut for Ireland. Um, I came off the bench and scored a winner. That's one that sticks out in my mind because that was something that I'd done for Ireland quite a few times. I think I scored quite a few late goals that were important at the time. Obviously, in the end, we ended up not qualifying for most of the tournaments, so it ended up not being so important. But I think... Um, to say defining, I think I'd have to say the cup final last year. I think that's probably one of the the best way to explain my career because I feel like so many times I've had so many people doubt me and and think I'm past it or I'm not good enough. And last season was a difficult season for me, but to finish it on such a high, I think shows the perseverance that I've had. 
Um, I think I've had to say I've had to per- persevere and had criticism. I've been in and out of the Irish team. I've I've had so many things go really well for me, but also have so many things go wrong for me. So for me, it's always been about proving people wrong. I think that's something that's really spurred me throughout my whole career. Whenever things don't go right, I've always gone away from a situation and said, look, I know I'm good enough to be able to do this. Again, having the right people around me kind of reiterating that as well helps. But yeah, I think... The cup final last year is probably the best way because, as I said, it was I finished the season on a high, scored two goals, uh, got player of the match. And even looking back on the game, there's definitely things that I feel like I need to improve on. I wasn't happy with it. It wasn't a complete performance by any means, but I had a really good game on a big stage. And I felt that was kind of me saying, I'm not gone yet. I'm not done yet. I'm, I'm here and I still have a lot more to give. Are you happy in the Women's National League, Steph? Is, like, is, is this you now for the next few years? Yeah, it's funny because people, a few people have asked me that. And since I've come back, obviously I was in Italy and my manager over there kind of got in touch with me, asking me would I like to go back to Italy. I had players who asked me would I go back to Italy. And like for me, it's just in no way. I'd never go back to Italy, if I'm totally honest. Italy was, there was too much that, that went wrong over there that that shouldn't have went wrong. And off the pitch more so than once um, the organisation around the teams over there. So that was a definite no-no. And I've had people maybe come and touch ask me to go back to England. And for me, it would have to be a really special deal to get me to go away again. I think I'm ready to settle in Ireland. I'm ready to, to kind of sort my life outside football. But as I said before, I get back to just enjoying my football. And I think right now Piedmont is the best place for me to be and you know we've seen you playing in so many different leagues and playing for your country and seen you um in pictures with Ronaldo and Messi up there with the best in the world what is your greatest success um I think to most people it's probably going to be the postcards but for me it's it's playing 55 times for Ireland hopefully I can add more to that over the coming years but I think playing for your country is the biggest achievement any sports person can get representing your country I'm, I'm very proud to be Irish and every time I pull the jersey on it, it's the, the last time is as good as the first time, you know, like on the way. So I think for me, yeah, I think the disappointing thing is that I've never qualified for a tournament because that's something that I would have liked to have done with the team. But um, yeah, I think playing for Ireland and, and getting so many caps over the years is, is something that I'm, I'm very proud of. And I think that would be for me the defining moment or the, the thing people should remember me for. <laughs> and Steph, like... Are you going to qualify for a major tournament, do you think? Are we going to see the Republic of Ireland women's team at a major tournament in the near future? I feel like I'm on repeat the last couple of um, <laughs> qualifiers. I feel like I say it every time we're close. We've got the players, we've got the management, we've got, we're again, the backup from the FEI. I think things are going the right way, definitely. Um, obviously, I haven't been involved as much, so it's a little bit more difficult for me to actually talk about the, the spirit within the squad. But... I, st- I do think we have to. I think this this World Cup qualifying campaign is huge. I think qualifying for the World Cup is a lot more difficult than people think because it's very difficult to actually qualify. Um, I really hope we can qualify for the World Cup, but if it's not the World Cup, I think the next Euros has got to be the goal because I think the Euros have become a little bit, I wouldn't say easier, but a little bit more accessible for teams to be able to qualify for. So I, I hope, I like to think that it will be within those next two tournaments or next two qualifiers, we can actually get there and, uh, and hopefully get Ireland to a major tournament and get the whole country behind them. And Steph, like you've been around the the block now at this stage, so you've kind of seen what works and what doesn't work in, in many countries and, and leagues and that. What can be done here in Ireland, do you think, just to improve things for women's football and just even to be building for a brighter future? 
Um, I think something that I've always said is is equal opportunity. It's not like we spoke about equal pay earlier on. I think a lot of the girls involved in women's football here in Ireland, they don't play for money. You know, they don't play because they're not going to have a lucrative contract. They're like going to make loads of money and be able to be millionaires. They play because they love it. And I think a big thing for, for female footballers is equal opportunity and equal treatment. And I think we started to get that with electricity coming in on board as the sponsor of both the leagues. It's not just one of the leagues, it's both of us and we're all under the same umbrella. That's a huge step forward. I think the game's being streamed live, like the men's, is, is what we need. I think you're giving people access to the games. And I think for me, this season, as I said, it's the most exciting so far because I think we really, like I've been saying it for so many years, I'm always asked the same questions by different people. Where do you think we need to go? How are we going to get there? And I feel like I'm on repeat, as I said, I feel like it's getting there, it's getting there. But I genuinely feel like we really are getting there. We're getting somewhere. The game's been shown on RTE, the international games, the games in the Women's National League being streamed. Like there's just more media attention. The 20 by 20 campaign was huge for that, obviously. But I do think if we really want to get to a level where we're competing with the nations around us, the league needs to be made a priority. There needs to be something done. I don't know what to make the league a semi-professional league and people in the FBI will be better at working at that than me. <laughs> but I think that has got to be the goal, making the league semi-professional. As I said, steps have been made to get there. And I like to think that that's kind of the start of building towards that. So we'll see what happens. It'll probably be before, be after my time, but hopefully we can get there while I'm still playing. <laughs> well, Steph, like I ask everyone as well about their legacy and I know it's probably difficult when you're still playing, but when I talk, think about legacy for women's footballers in Ireland, it's really hard to see past that stand that you took a few years back against or the FAI, just looking for better terms and conditions and the difference that it's going to make for the people that are following in your footsteps. Is that your legacy, do you think? Um, I think so, yeah. I think for players like myself, Anya, Emma Byrne, like when we don't took that stand, we were absolutely breaking it. Like we didn't want to do it. We weren't like thinking, all we thought was people are going to think like we're being hungry or we're, we're demanding too much, but literally everybody got behind us and that was brilliant. But I think the important thing for me is that women's football grows. And I think throughout my whole career, I've really tried to help make that happen whether it be with the with the stand with against the FBI and for better treatment which has helped we've definitely got better since then so that's kind of helped and and obviously I just think I just want to in 10 years time if I have a daughter or if I have a son that they see women's football out there and everybody's watching it and and there's equal opportunity for the young girls who are coming up to play and, and for me that has got to be a priority for the FEI and, and hopefully we have helped that by by what we've done that time and yeah hopefully long may it continue and long may it get better. Well, I definitely think you have anyway, Steph, and it'll probably be only in years to come that you'll actually realise what a big deal it was. And just finally, Steph, what for you is next then? Um, I don't know. We're waiting for this <laughs> coronavirus to go away first. I think uh, everything's kind of being put on hold. It's not not too unlike most people, obviously, listening or watching. Um, for me, I just want to, to continue to do well at football. Um, as I said, I'm 32 in June, so... A few more years in me, I hope. Um, I want to try and get my coaching business up and running. Obviously, with, with COVID, it's been um, a little bit difficult getting everything going. But yeah, I want to work hard uh, to build a company and build my coaching company. And, and that's kind of the goal, I think, long term. I want to try and get involved in coaching and get my badges and stuff 
but yeah, we'll see what else comes along the way. I've really been enjoying doing the media work as well. So we'll see. I've, I've a few different things happening. So I don't really know, to be honest with you. I'm, I'm 32 and I still don't know what the future holds for me, but we'll get there eventually, I'm sure. Plenty of time. Stephanie Roach, thanks so much for sharing your journey with us, for helping put women's football on the international stage, for changing the landscape for women's football here in Ireland and for all of those caps for the Republic of Ireland as well. I hope everybody enjoyed listening and watching. Please like, subscribe and leave a review.